Good morning. <clears throat> Scripture for this morning will be taken from Jonah, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And I'll be reading from the ESV version. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and it was a second time, saying, Rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey to, uh, in breadth. Jonah, Jonah began to go into the city, and going a day's journey, he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth for the greatest of them to the least of them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Tom. Always a wise guy. <laughs> if you, Tom's last name is Wisely. And my wife just whispered as we both just thought, man, I love, love Tom. Thankful <laughs> for him, and, um, and uh, yeah, well, good morning. My name is Dave. I'm the, the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and um, typically get to do the bulk of the preaching, and as has been said often this morning, just we're gl glad you're here. And uh, we, we had a big, we had a packed Sunday last, uh, last Sunday, right? It was a lot, and we kind of sent out a lot of stu students and, um, you know, things like that, and now we kind of get into our, our, uh, our kind of summer groove a bit. This is like the first week of the summer. So if you notice the back seats being roped off a little bit f further up or things like that, it's just to, you know, throughout the summer, just encourage us to kind of to move in toward each other. And um, uh, yeah, just again, look, look for, forward to what God has in store for us this summer. Historically, this has been a time where we've really grown um, closer together, grown in depth on multiple fronts and also um, even kind of numbers wise, we don't typically always see it during the summer. But then when we come back in the fall, it's like, oh, wow, we grew a lot in the in the summer. Um, and now as everyone's back, we, we kind of see and experience that. So anyway, just a heads up as we kind of get into the summer together. Um, I don't know if I actually said it or not, um, but I have a stutter. So I um, just want to let you know as it'll kind of come in and out as, as, uh, as we go. Um, yeah, just always want to make sure that people know that. And even uh, take a chance, as we, we sometimes say, just to help kind of shape our culture, we say we take God seriously, but not ourselves. Um, and we, we kind of sometimes even poke fun, fun at ourselves with that. And um, my stuttering is kind of a, a, can even be an ongoing <laughs> kind of expression of it. Also, though, I want to point out, because I love um, Peter and Ashley, um, it's cool. They just got married, and they got to sing right here, shoulder to shoulder, husband and wife, and that was fun, right? Yeah, we can, we can cheer that on. Um, and um, also, at their wedding, um, during, after they took communion, Union, we all just sang, and it was this beautiful, they have incredible voices, and they were singing to the Lord, to each other, alongside each other, and their voices were beautiful. I, I joked that it felt like the Von Trapps, if you guys know know that. And um, 
And also, Peter, I felt better about myself, just to kind of call like it is again, we take God seriously, but not ourselves. The fact that you kind of went in like briefly before you're supposed to, I think there, and I know nothing about music, but sorry, I'm throwing shade again, right? I'm, I, I, but I saw that and it was encouraging because you're like, I don't even know where you're at, but you're the, like in the, one of the most musical people ever. And if you can even do that, then I feel better about me doing it at least once a week. All right. Um, so, all right. Amen. We're, we're together here. Um, so go ahead and turn in your Bible to, uh, to Jonah chapter 3. This is where we're going to be um, this morning. So Jonah chapter 3, we're going to be walking through the whole chapter this time. So if you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, um, would you hold your hand up and keep it up and we will hit you one, okay? We want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word they can follow along with. So hold it up high um, and, and we'll get you one. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene ninguna Biblia, eso, eso es un regalo a usted. Y um, esta mañana estamos en um, Jonás capítulo 3. And uh, again, keep this, okay, put your name in it, underline it, and uh, make it your own. See that uh, this is God's word, which is meant to shape us, encourage us, uh, grow us in our identity as his. Um, so with that, let me go ahead and pray as we get into our time together in, in, uh, in Jonah chapter 3. Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, for your word. Um, thank you that you have not just called us to kind of blindly shoot in the dark in what it looks like to follow you, what it looks like to be your people. But um, Lord, you have given us your word. You've sent your spirit uh, for those who have um, been called your own, those who have put their faith in Jesus, Lord, you have, um, you have, you have given us a way to walk with you. And, and so, Lord, we pray that our time together, um, humbly, under your word, would, um, Lord, would convict us where we need to be convicted, would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and uh, again, would shape us all together, individually and as a people. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, as Tom read, he kind of emphasized, I joked to my wife, he kind of stole my thunder, but not really, but he emphasized, right? He said a second time in Jonah 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it the message that I tell you. So there's a parallel. If this sounds familiar, if you're like having kind of a, a deja vu all over again, um, then uh, it's because you are, right? Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 had the same thing. In fact, we have a slide here. I think, are they side by side? I don't even know where it went, but you see the parallel there um, as you put chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, where we are this morning, and you look at it with Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it's almost the same thing, right? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And, and yet this time, Jonah arose. The first time in chapter 1, Jonah heard the word of the Lord. He heard a call, an exhortation of, hey, um, I am God, you are mine, and now you need to follow and obey me, go and do this. And, and what happened the first time in chapter 1 is Jonah's like, God said, come this way, and Jonah was like, I'll go this way, right? He went the exact opposite direction. But this time, Jonah follows the Lord. He obeys. 
And some other things I want us to, to see as we read through that the author of Jonah in, 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 in is, is, is creative in how he wrote this whole, this short book, this short account of Jonah, of this prophet Jonah. But more than that, I want us to see God's creativity. Okay, because there are a couple of parallels and themes that show up throughout Jonah that, that we might miss if we're just kind of, you know, going through it, kind of front, you know, cover to cover, just kind of read, and we might miss a couple of themes. Like you may have, maybe like me, would have missed the parallel between chapter one, chapter three, and the, the same thing there. Um, a couple of other themes that, that show up that I want to point us toward that just, again, to help us have awe and wonder as God reveals himself. Um, one is the word of the use great. Uh, one, or, sorry, the use of the word great. Um, one is the number three. And then um, the, the other one is, is, is the fact that, that God intentionally reveals himself as the one true God. Okay, so God is great, um, he, God is intentional, and he has a plan, and then he is the one true God. So the, word, the, the use of the word great, if you notice, if you were reading, right, Jonah disobeyed the Lord. So this is kind of looking back at the whole picture in chapter 1. Jonah heard the commandment of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and he disobeyed, and, and what kind of story? storm came up. I can't hear you. Great. A great storm. That's right. A great storm came up. And then what kind of fish swallowed up Jonah? A great fish. And what kind of uh, city is Nineveh referred to? Great. We're getting it. Thank you, Alex. It's, right? It's great. And the use of the word there is, is intentionally placed by the author, yes, but more than that by God, revealing his greatness. Is the whole picture, right, is in the whole call throughout Jonah, and hopefully you've heard this enough, is there's this call to surrender to the pursuing God. Apply there's the great God whose kindness leads his people to repentance. Surrender to God. Why? Because he is great. And though this huge storm, if you've ever been in a huge storm, you know, like a monsoon or something, you know what it's right. You, you have a sense of your smallness. In the picture, as we read throughout Jonah, is we see God's greatness on display. A great storm came up. A great fish came up. What kind of fish? It must be a big one if it could swallow a whole adult man and then spin, hit him up on dry land. And then and then a great city, right, that takes three days to walk across. And we'll get to that in a minute. But just, by the way, most likely didn't actually take three days. Again, this is creative intentionality in the author wanting to reveal greatness. And then it says it takes three days, similarly, to help us see God's, God's, um, God's providence over all things. Okay, how many days was Jonah in the fish? Three. Okay, so that's meant to get this idea of, okay, there's, there's a, and then, and then we hear that this great city that God is calling Jonah to takes three days to get across. Okay, there's a continuity there. For us, we have the benefit of being um, in a place historically where we can look back and we can also see, as has been referred to when looking at Jesus, the sign of Jonah. Okay, in the same, and we'll get to this kind of at the very end, but in the same ways, right? Um, on which day did Jesus rise from the dead? The third day. I love this audience participation, by the way. This is good. Okay, let's, let's keep this going. 
right? Three, the number three there is used intentionally, and that's used often, obviously, the Trinity, God is three persons, but one God, right? There's, but you see a continuity here, and it's again to remind us of God's sovereignty and his providence and his intentionality. God is great. God has a plan. And then this other one is really good, and I'm not going to ask for a call and response for what is the Hebrew word of fish, right? I didn't know it until hearing about it a couple weeks ago. But the word for fish in Hebrew is Zeg. That was not intentional, like, try and pause and wait for it. Okay. <laughs> the word for fish is Dag, and the primary god of the Ninevites is Dagon. All right? The fish god. And again, there's an intentionality here used. We have a picture here, if you could um, throw it up there, of, of this fish god that Early on for the Assyrian people, and specifically in Nineveh, there were other gods, probably the god of wheat and things like that. But at this point in time, when, um, when, when Jonah would be going and would be sent to go to this great city that took three days to go across, that he was swallowed up by a great fish, which he was in for three days, and then he was spit out on dry land and was sent to the city that revered and worshipped the great fish god, Dagon. And, and the, the idea here is that as we would read this, and again, um, fish and Nineveh, and we wouldn't catch this stuff if we're just reading, but as we slow down and we press in, the big idea is that we would see is that call to surrender to Almighty, great God, is that we would see that he is great. He has a plan and a purpose. He presides over all things. And he and he alone is the one true God. All right, so as we press in and we learn more about this city of Nineveh, the picture is that we would see that this great empire, which worshipped and submitted themselves to this, in their mind, great God of Dagon, and all their power and all their might was meant to revere and to reflect this power of this God, Dagon, that God's power and his providence and his strength would, would, would be revealed as so much greater than Nineveh, than their puny God, right, than their, than, than their whole idea of life, and that we would be left just like the people in the audience reading here and the Ninevites and Jonah. Well, we're called to surrender to this great God who is the one true God. And so God, revealing himself in all his creativity here, calls Jonah to go. And this time, Jonah does what he's told, right? In verse 4, he preaches the shortest sermon ever. Okay, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. So he didn't go all the way through. He went a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Mic drop, <laughs> right? That's it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's it. He doesn't give all kinds of other information that presumably he is supposed to. He does the very minimum. God calls him to do something, and he like skirts by the, by the skin of his teeth, all right? Some of us, many of us in our approach to life, in our approach to holiness, to righteousness, right? God is calling us to live this way before his face, to honor him, to reflect him. And we're like, how close to the edge can I get? How close to the cliff? How close to, um, to, to the, the, 
the edge of the gray area can I get without, without going over the line, right? And we see that in Jonah. And let, let me ask, what do you think of when you think of that kind of thing? You might think of your kids, right? Well, I think of my wife. Uh-oh, right? <laughs> Just got uncomfortable in here. I can share this um, because I know she won't mind. When she was a young kid, there's a story that her family loved to, to share. And you guys saw it. My wife's up here singing. She's cute. And she, you know, kind of, um, she's very cute. We just had our 17th anniversary yesterday. Yes, thank you. We probably spent like maybe half an hour together during the day. We're cruising all over. But thank, we get next weekend. Thank you, Johansons. Um, we get some time together next weekend without our kids to celebrate. But um, that's it, right? She kind of puts on a, not a front. She's genuine. She's cute. She's sweet. When she was a little kid, her grandma bought her a bonnet and, um, and her parents made her wear that bonnet to, um, to church to, uh, you know, show the grandparents, right? And um, those of us young parents, and we look at that like, how could you do that? We have our own version, right? Like, make your kid look this way for an Instagram picture, whatever it is, right? Well, they did it back then, too. I won't say how long. But right back then, they did this stuff, too. So what does she do? She marches, right? She wears the bonnet, right? She's going to obey her parents, honor your father and mother. She walks up, marches up. says to her grandma, little head shake, right? Um, Little finger snap. She says, there, I wore it. Are you happy? And throws it down. All right? Some of you can't believe that. All right? I know. Sweet little Kira. She did that. But how like Jonah, and let's be real, how much like us is this perspective of, all right, I'll do the bare minimum. That's the picture we get. So if we're tempted, and a lot of times historically people will present Jonah as like, be like Jonah. Yeah, you're going to go wayward for a while, but then you'll come back around, and he's a hero of the faith. He's, that's not the picture we get here of Jonah. All right, the picture the author, ultimately God, intends for us to get of, of, uh, out, of, out of reading this is that God is great. God has a plan. God is the one true God. And even Jonah is painted in such a light that we would say, ah, that's not really, that's not what true surrender looks like. But why? All right, as we press in, I want to acknowledge, because again, we can sit up in um, kind of historic um, ivory towers of judgment, right? And where we are today, we can look back at Jonah. So either we say, oh, Jonah's the hero. Be more like Jonah, right? WWJD, what would Jonah do, right? Or we flip on the other side and we're like, oh, Jonah's got it all bad. I'm not like Jonah. I'm not like Nineveh. I'm somewhere else in my own category judging. Well, God's calling Jonah into another belly of a beast, all right? He just got spit up by the belly of the beast of this great fish, but why would he be so reluctant to go into Nineveh? Well, as we read the first week, and I just want to remind us, and if you weren't here, make note of this and remember here in, um, in, in the prophet Nahum paints a picture of Nineveh, and it's like and you could picture other ideas in our day, but, but it's like, it would be like a Jewish person during the Holocaust fleeing Germany and then going back into the center of Berlin. All right, that's this idea. So Jonah's posture toward Nineveh, and again, um, Nahum speaks of Nineveh this way. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, 
no end to the prey. And Jonah would eventually become a part of the prey. And his people, he knew, were vulnerable to this great power, seemingly great power of Nineveh. The crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end, they stumble over the bodies. And that's not hyperbole, by the way. All right, historians and even today, people have looked back on the military tactics of the Assyrians and have, and have, have had awe and wonder at their, what they did, okay? There's, and I know we have a number of military folks in here, and, you, and I've heard of different ideas. Even um, we have a couple A-10 pilots. Some have shared that, that certain times they'll fly through a, uh, like a battlefield and their engines will roar or they'll use certain missiles that aren't necessarily meant to destroy but to kind of just flex their muscle and basically show like, hey, you don't want to mess with us. Okay? You, you might as well give up now. Well, a lot of the stuff that the Ninevites did was, was similar, but they would pile corpses. They would um, do all kinds of other grotesque things to reveal, you don't want to mess with us. So as we read this, we need to recognize that the greater miracle is not necessarily that Jonah survived the belly of the beast, the fish, but the fact that Jonah survived the belly of the beast, Nineveh. The fact that he was reluctant to go there should make a little more sense. We should be a little slower to judge. And also, the fact that he marched in there and just survived is a miracle. And so I want us to pause for a moment and enter into the story. Okay, recognize where, where do we fit in? What, what version of the belly of the beast is God calling you into? Okay, something that uh, just we could preach from afar and be detached enough for y- you to think, oh, that's back then. That's No, but what version of that in your life? Is there, is there a place God's calling you into? That's a fra- is there a relationship, a conversation? Even similarly here, is there a person or a type of people that maybe like Jonah, you have written off? You've said there's no way God's grace, God's good news, the gospel doesn't apply there. So I'm just going to avoid it. I'm going to put earmuffs on, right? I'm going to hide my, I'm going to put my, my you know, I'm going to hide like a little kid would do, right? And put, like playing hide and seek and just put your, like if I can't see you, you can't see me, right? And just kind of pretend like, um, you know, that's, there's, I'm not going to go there because it's too hard. It's too scary. There's too much hurt or perhaps, and, or, there's too much hatred. So I'm not going to go there. All right, again, it could be another person, perhaps in a, someone who's abused you, um, a type of people that you've experienced pain from or with or through, right? That you've now, it's, 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 it's easier to hide under a cloak of racism or, or fear or, or judgment or, 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 or accusation or just geographic distance, right? Like, I'll stay in my neighborhood, you stay in your na- neighborhood, you stay on your side of the aisle, I'll stay on my side of the aisle. It's easier to just kind of assume from afar. Or maybe it's yourself, 
Maybe God's calling you into places in your own heart, in your own life, in your own journey, in your own story that in some way resembles going into the belly of the beast, an unsafe place that's easier to just keep out there. Maybe it's a past hurt or pain. Maybe it's a past sin that you've committed or had committed against you. Hear me right now. The good news of Jesus God's greatness and his mercy and his power is good enough and great enough. He's intentional and purposeful enough. He is the one true God, and he is calling you to come face to face. He is the one, Jesus is the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Where he's sending you to go, where he's calling you into, whether it's out there, whether it's that person, that conversation, or your own heart, he said, I'm with you. Okay, you can trust him. Okay, my, my, my prayer for us, even now as we look at Jonah to be somewhat of a mirror and reflect our own hearts, is that our fear or our hatred would not prevent us from seeing the power of God on display. And that's exactly what happens. Jonah preached this ridiculously short, in Hebrew, it's five words. He didn't give enough of the information at all, right? He didn't say, and God is merciful. God, you know, he didn't recite Exodus and talk about how God will, God will give, give grace and freedom and forgiveness if you, if you repent and God will judge your sins if you don't. He just said, hey, uh, in a couple days, you're all going to die. And then walked on, right? And yet somehow... In spite of Jonah, not because of Jonah's eloquent speech, right, or wisdom or great oratory skills, right, somehow God worked in incredible ways. Okay, read with me in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. That's a miracle. Jonah preached that ridiculous sermon. He said he got by by the skin of his teeth. He, like, kind of didn't disobey, but kind of did. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Okay, again, we could miss this. Um, insert in there, the word reached the most powerful human on the face of the earth. <laughs> All right, this isn't so, yeah, the king of Nineveh, I've seen the hedgy tales about this, or I've, you know, I've got a little idea, whatever. It's like, no, like whatever, whoever the most powerful, uh, attractive, wealthy, greatest person on the face of the earth, right? Whoever you and I would love if they responded to you directly on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, right? Like just imagine the most powerful. Well, what happened here? Look, as we look at this, what happens when you, when you meet the great purposeful one true God is you see his rightful place on the throne and you get off the throne, that's what happens. He gets up, he removes his robe, he covers himself with sackcloth and ashes. And this idea, by the way, of sackcloth and ashes is, is like saying, unless something changes, unless God has mercy, unless God is patient, unless God is kind, unless God does what I don't deserve, 
He extends grace. That's what grace means. All right, undeserved favor. Unless that happens, unless God changes the course of my direction, I'm as good as dead. Sackcloth and ashes was, was a physical posture of saying, I'm basically walking dead. Not the show. Okay, I'm basically as good as dead. These ashes represent what I will become absolutely no matter what, unless God intervenes. And they do that. And look at as his, his charge continues, right? He issued, verse 7, he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. What we have here, okay, press into this. What we have here, picture with me, okay? Almighty king, right? Here's word of what Jonah said, because there's kind of a stir among the people. He gets up off his throne, puts on sackcloth and ashes, tells everyone else they need to put on sackcloth and ashes. They need to endure a fast from food and water. And not just all the people, but the cows and the sheep. All right, you got Bessie, the cow, just sitting there with like sackcloth and, you know, burlap or whatever, and like some ashes just sitting there like looking around. Like, well, why? What'd the cow do? Right? Why, why do they got to do this too? And it's a picture. It's it, here. Okay, zoom out with me for a moment. The greater picture of all of Scripture, the entire Bible, when we, we sing about, we hear about how as far as the curse is found, Okay, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a worldview right now that we need to understand. And there's also an individual reality of sin that we need to understand. Sin never stops at the individual. In the very beginning, when sin entered into the world, when Adam and Eve turned away from God and said, we don't want it your way, we want it our way. We're going to eat of this fruit of knowledge of good and evil, right? We don't need you anymore, God. We're going to do our own. What happened? Sin affected and infected everything, including the cows and the sheep and the trees. And we live in a city where we have rivers that are dry, are a reminder that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Sin doesn't just affect individuals. So this should be a picture of the bigger impact of sin on a global, cosmic, universal scale, as well as Hear me, when you and I sin individually, it never stops with us. Okay, f fathers, mothers, aunts and uncles, older siblings. L look at me for a moment. Think about this. Your sin affects so many other people and circumstances and relationships beyond yourself. All right, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Crash. I'm always hesitant of what to recommend here, what to talk about. It's very much an R-rated movie, right? So use a filter and I'm not recommending it or, or whatever. So there's my disclaimer. But it's a picture of the effect of sin and brokenness on huge socioeconomic, racial, cultural, governmental, familial levels all over the place. And you see there these cycles of sin that look like it's just individuals, but then carry over. One individual robs another individual, and that now affects that individual's relationship with his spouse. And that person has a place of office, and, and that relationship now affects how he 
governs and what he votes for. And then that affects how this person, this plumber treats this small business owner and there's distrust and brokenness. And then that leads to potential murder. And then that leads to a relationship between a police officer and someone they pull over. And that now relates to that husband and that, and it just trickles on and you see it and it goes on and on. And so again, what we see here similarly in Jonah is that sin has affected and infected everything. That's the bad news. We've got to come face to face with that. But hear me, the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the picture we get in the very end of Jesus now in Revelation chapter 21, sitting right now on a throne, saying, declaring, proclaiming, behold, I am making all things new. How many things? All things So when we talk about all of life is all for Jesus, when we talk about the good news, the story of God over all things, it's because sin has affected and infected everything, but God is greater. Amen? Even great enough to save the Ninevites. And we see that on display here. Again, chapter 3, we need to not grow so numb in our historical separation about 3,000 years away from this kingdom of Assyria that we would miss the fact that chapter 3 is insane, all right? That any Hebrew reading through this prophetic account in Jonah would be like, no way. They would be at the edge of their seats reading, be like, no way, no way, no way it happened. No way that these Assyrians, these Ninevites, these incredibly powerful, no way that king got off his throne. He doesn't, like, again, if you've ever seen 300 and you remember, like, the great victory of the whole movie is when the Spartan dude um, throws the spear and it, like, barely nicks the the king, right? Because this picture was like, this is a deity, This is a God, they're untouchable. But the picture we get in scripture, the real story, amen? The real story is that God is great. But people would be reading and be like, no way, this most powerful person on earth got off his throne and and took off his robe and him and his cows and his sheep put on sackcloth and ashes. No way they turned from their sin. And they did. I got to have a conversation this week and I wish I could dive into it more and um, and share more, but um, Alex Dawood, spelled Dawood, but it's cool because Dawood means David um, and uh, is her last name. Alex, where are you? Are you in here? Okay, right here. Alex, right there. And I got to have a great conversation with um, Alex who who shared her story as growing up um, as an Assyrian. And um, so it was such a cool conversation. I encourage you, if you know Alex and you don't know her story, and in our brief half an hour or so long conversation, I get to have an incredibly encouraging um, picture. And again, the greatness, the intentionality, um, the, the, the oneness in, in the plan of God. As, as Alex shared her story of, of growing up um, as an Assyrian, speaking Aramaic, and among a people who trace their, their heritage, and especially their spiritual heritage, all the way back to 34 AD. Right? And if you know, that's, um, that's one year after when we know that Jesus 
likely died on the cross. Okay, Jesus was 33, and, um, you know, A.D., Jesus died 33 A.D. The next year, the, the, the St. Thomas, or the Apostle Thomas, on his way to India, which a lot of people from India can trace their spiritual faith and heritage back to that time, too, that, that, that Thomas, on his way to India, um, um, stopped in Assyria, in, in the place kind of northern Iraq, southern Iran, um, shared the gospel, and, 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 and a number of people came to faith. And she shared this really cool information that a whole civilization, a whole language, a whole identity was in a sense, or not in a sense, was saved because these people came to faith and where everyone else was now becoming monolithic and only speaking Arabic and only identifying as, um, as Arabic um, and the whole r- region that the Assyrian people in this, in this area, um, a whole culture uh, of civilization um, historically was saved. Like that's, that's the wonder. Like again, just to connect thoughts, sometimes we sing songs in Spanish, like one language out of thousands, right? It's to get a picture of a greater God and a greater love and appreciation for our neighbor, through whom we see God and his power and his wonder and his greatness and his intentionality on display. And through my conversation with our sister in Christ, Alex, I got to get a glimpse in that. So as we've talked about Assyria and Nineveh, it's amazing to, again, consider and picture God's pursuit, the miraculous salvation of a seemingly unreachable people who now we get to worship alongside one of. And let me point out, too, no more unlikely than any of us in this room, all right, on an individual level. Also, also want to point out, 34 AD is way, 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 way before the crazy pagan Europeans, all right, put their faith in Jesus. Amen? All right, we understand this. So, so, so people in northern Iraq, southern Iran, the Middle East, our Savior, Lord and Savior Jesus of Jewish Middle Eastern descent, way before Europeans. All right, so let's just get our historical lenses right, okay, and not just think, oh, like a bunch of white people on the Mayflower carried the gospel around the world. It's not how it went down, right? Tom, Professor Tom, cultural anthropologist, Amen. All right. So now, what do we do with all this? In the end, verse 10, which some have viewed as a problematic verse, but it's not. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. All right, some have thought this is a problem. Well, what about the immutability and the impassibility of God? And some of you know those words, and you're like, yeah, yeah, what are we going to do with this? Oh, we're going to spend hours now in this. No, we're not. And some of you are like, what do those words even mean? In part, it means that God can be, um, God can be basically manipulated emotionally by the interactions and the responses of people. And the immutability and impassibility of God says, no, God cannot be um, uh, manipulated or turned or thwarted. His sovereigns and his plans are, 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 are unchanging. And that is true. And yet the good news of this, not the problem, the good news is that God in his wisdom, in his power, in his grace, has chosen to make it so that his people relate with him based on whether or not we repent, 
whether or not we turn and respond to his pursuit. Remember, surrender to the pursuing God whose kindness leads his people to repentance. What we see here in Jonah and in the Ninevites is God's kindness. Okay, think about it here for a moment, all right? The Ninevites, we just read in Nahum, right? All their craziness, their piles of dead bodies, all right? Uh, God's people piled dead. Don't you think that's offensive to God? And yet God let some sackcloth and some ashes on some people and some cows be enough? Right, let's recognize that's not a worthy sacrifice. All right, that didn't somehow appease the wrath of God. Right, oh good, I'm glad you sprinkled a couple ashes on your cows and your sheep. Now I'm, now I'm cool, all right? Now I'll hold back my wrath. No, God, and, and Jonah too, right? Jonah's like, all right, God, fine, I'll do it, right? Threw down his bonnet, right? Jonah went and preached a little silly five-word sermon, and all of a sudden God's like, okay, good, you obeyed me. Now I won't throw you back into the sea, right? No, God extends kindness and forgiveness at great cost to himself. Clearly in Jonah, to Jonah, to the Ninevites, and so clearly to you and me. The cross of Jesus is the clearest display of God loving and kindly pursuing his people, calling us to repentance, calling us to restoration at great cost to himself. In Jesus, we see a picture here all throughout Jonah, right? We see that this, this, this king of Nineveh got off his throne, right? He humbled himself, but he had to have. He rightly needed to humble himself before almighty great God. But Jesus, whose rightful place is on the throne, Philippians 2 tells us he willingly got up and gave up his spot on the throne. He humbled himself, though he didn't need to, though he shouldn't have, though you and I don't deserve it. He humbled himself, taking on the place of a servant, dying humbly, shamefully, naked on a cross. Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of the Father, where Jonah just got by by the skin of his teeth. While he said the fewest words possible, Jesus fully obeyed the will of the Father, laying down his life at great cost to himself. Jonah endured three days on a great fish's belly that he deserved to be in, and then was put out on dry land and reluctantly went and obeyed the Father, where Jesus willingly spent three days in the belly of the beast of death and then was vomited out of the grave triumphantly and is now returned to his rightful place on the throne, again, where he says he's making all things new. He is great. He is glorious. He has a perfect plan. He is the one true God. And he's calling you and I to surrender to him. Surrender to the great God whose kindness leads his people to repentance. Let's close in prayer. Again, Heavenly Father, we see so many themes on a global, cosmic, societal level, themes of sin and brokenness, and then also, Lord, themes of grace, all clearly pointing to you, Jesus, 
that every question finds its yes in you, that as we find ourselves in, in some people's minds a seemingly obscure book of the Bible that's hard to find without going to the table of content, and yet as we dive in there, we see your sovereignty, we see your glory, we see your, your patience, your long-suffering kindness, which leads your people to repentance. Lord, I pray that through your spirit, you would lead us individually and communally to respond appropriately to our great, loving, pursuing, and kind God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.